this country all over water. Prayer. Father, we just thank you, God, for your truth. We open up our hearts to receive, Lord, your holy word. Speak to us, O oh God. May your servants grow closer unto thee, O oh God. Father, I pray let it be all of you and none of me that we might see Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you can join me in Philippians, the second chapter. Continue on with our theme from our Passion Week of knowing Christ and seeing Christ and how we ought to live for Christ. I want to look in this this familiar passage of Philippians second chapter. And as we turn there, those who have your uh, Bible app so you can join the live event and follow us along there in the text. Those who do not have the word of God to say, hold on. All right. Seems like we're all there. Let us let us begin. I'll be reading from New Living Translation. Just going to highlight verses uh, uh, three to five. And we'll look at verses one through eleven. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Praise God for his words. You may be seated. If you can help me announce the subject matter to your neighbor, tell them united in Christ. Amen. 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 Help you tell tell your other neighbor, tell them united in Christ. When we think of the word united, we definitely need to think of unit or one. And when something is one, it means that it is identified for its singularity and its uniformity. But sometimes we get caught up that think uniformity equals unity. But you can be unified but not have uniformity. And so what we are trying to do within the body of Christ and the church is realize that all of us are different, but yet we can be one. Think about one this way. If you put up your hand, you will see that you have five digits, but you can roll that up and make one fist. Am I talking to somebody here? You, you, can, you can do some things with a hand opened up, but when you put it together, you could get a lot more done with a fist. Have you ever tried to hammer a nail with an open hand? A lot of stuff not getting done. Have you ever tried to... Do a, a, a get a wheelbarrow or hold a ladder with an open hand. Things just not working. But when you bring the fingers and the pinky, the index, the middle finger, the pointer, and the thumb together and make a fist, it's amazing what they can do together. They don't look alike, but together they can be one. When we think about the body of Christ, we need to understand that all of us are different, but yet we can be one. And our unity is in Christ. Our unity is not based on any other purpose but Christ. We, we should look at the body of Christ, the church, to be one. And being one means this, that we should have some things in common. My question is, what do you have in common? If you look to your left, look to your right, do you have anything in common? Think about how we should love one another. We say it, but do we do it? We talk about how we, we forgive one another. We talk about it, but do we do it? 
Are we really open to be patient with one another? Are we ready to let them know how to get on my last nerves? Are, are we willing to listen to somebody's problems or, be, or we got to tell them our problems first? We, we need to look into the process. If we're going to be one, what does one look like? And so that's why Paul is trying to show us what oneness looks like, how we ought to be united in the body of Christ. He says, if, if there is encouragement and belonging to the body of Christ, and, and, and in this statement, it looks like as he's asking a question, but he's not asking this question. It's pretty much a declarative statement that since you say you are a Christian, then at least four things should be evident. You see these four things, a mind of encouragement, a consolation of love, fellowship in the spirit, and affection and compassion towards one another. I want you to grab closely to understand that if one is missing, it's not there. We can't say that we have unity and we don't encourage one another. What does it mean to encourage? Encourage, basically, you look at the word to encourage, basically, to make someone bold and, and to lift somebody up. There's people sitting next to you right now that need to hear a word of encouragement. Think about how oftentimes in our lives we go through a day, a, through a day. You think you had a pretty good day, but did nobody else say you had a good day? You go home pretty lonely after that. Nobody patted you on the back. Nobody say, good job. Nobody said, I enjoyed your presentation or I'm glad you showed it to work on time. They just don't say anything. But they want you to say something to them. They'll come by and say, look at my children. Aren't they doing good? Look at my new car. Isn't it nice? I just bought me a new house where I'm about to go on vacation. They tell you all these other things about themselves, but yet did they take the time to encourage you? Let's reverse it. How often times that's been us? That we want to tell everybody else what's good in our lives, but we don't look to tell them what's good in their lives. We need to be mindful is that pointing out the negative start looking for the positive. It's so easy to point out the negative that that's what we look into doing. When they do those ice-breaking exercises with, with, with companies and people, they tell you to say five good things about a person and say not superficial things. And when you mean not superficial, they'll say, I like your shirt. I got one down. No, 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 that's superficial. It's talk about that. That means you got to know something about somebody. When you can say that I like how you speak or I like how you lead or I like how you manage something, that means you know something about the person. But oftentimes when we come into the body of Christ, we don't take the time to know somebody. That's why we don't have anything good to say to them. But we hear what other people say and we repeat those things. We become parents. So-and-so said that must be true, so it must be true. So when I say, I'll say the same thing. I think the same, yep, you're right. I see the same thing. But instead, when we look at them, see the love of Christ, we look into, say, how can I encourage my brother and my sister? Not talk about the negatives, but point out the positives and encourage them because I want us to understand that there's people in our lives that we are who we are because they looked at the positive in us and not the negative in us. And so we can be the same one to be a change in somebody's life. So you know what? I'm going to lift you up. Not only will I have encouragement, but I have a consolation of love and, and comfort. Think about it in times of bereavement, how we want comfort. How you want somebody to come around you in time of sickness and encourage you. How you want someone to be there, sometimes not to tell, and you, tell you anything, but just to sit there and just be present with you. When we comfort some people, sometimes we don't understand how to comfort because we want to do what we want to do. Comfort means not about you. 
it's not about you. I, I, I throw a pen in real quick, and, and, and the pastor, Saddlebacks Rick Warren, he says it's amazing that he could have a number one selling book with an opening line telling you it's not about you. And, and once we grab that as a Christian, understand that it's not about us. It opens us up to see what is it really about. It's about how I can encourage you. It's about how I can love you and comfort you in times that it will encourage you with Christ. Because when I love you and comfort you, then I'm not looking to hurt you. And then I can receive things better because I know where you're coming from. But when I know you're coming from a, person, a, a, a position of hate, it hurts. But when I know you come from a position of love, I can hear what you have to say. Because I know you care about me. I know you're concerned about me so I can take it. Even though you might be telling me some things that I don't want to hear, I can hear it better. Understand that you're saying it in love. And because of that, then we have what? Fellowship in the spirit. Y'all see that in the text? That when we have compassion, then we have fellowship in the spirit. And this fellowship helps us to work together. In obedience to the Holy Spirit of God. And this, uh, this fellowship means that we'll show our affection and a compassion one to another. Therefore, we will, we will have the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ is a mind of unity. United in love and united in one purpose. United in the spirit. That means that, look at verse 3, means that I am not selfish. It says don't be selfish. See, we talked about the positive, what unity is. Let's look at what unity is not. Unity is not selfishness. It's not trying to impress others or it's trying to build up yourself just in order to tear somebody else down. Not looking out for your own interests. We need to be mindful that in, we are not manipulating people. That's what it's saying is about being selfish and to impress each other. Sometimes people try to use vocabulary words just to re, re, uh, reach them so they can approve their agenda and really not after to get anybody. It's the times that I, I sold that I'm so young on your side along we're going in my direction. Think about what unity looks like. For example, if all of you just thought about your ideal vacation place, it, it'd be if I came up to say, Zion, we're all going on vacation today. Everybody's like, yeah, that's great. We're going on vacation, right? All right, so we're going to have, we're all in one accord. And I said, now, where do you want to go? Then everybody's going to have their own idea about where they want to go. We were united on the idea. <laughs> but now how are we going to get it done? Now we start, you know, I want to go, I want to, go to, to Cabo. I, I want to go to, to the Caribbeans. I want to get on a cruise. Everybody's going to start persuading people, try to get them to go where they want. Instead of saying, you know what, where does everybody want to go? Let us agree to go to that one place. That's the work it takes. Unity means that how I remove my agenda, remove my idea, remove what I want and look at to see what do you want. And so having this mind of Christ means that I'm willing to submit, I'm willing to surrender and not be what? Selfish. That I'm not going to think of myself first, but I'll think of others first. Selfishness will lead us to be so self-centered that we can care less what anybody else has as long as we got ours. And we heard that before. I got mine. You get your own. Don't, don't, don't worry about what I got. Get your own. But, self, but selfishness will lead you to be so self-centered that sometimes you will be alone. But think about those who give. People think about them. They think about how they can give you more. Think about that for a moment. And Think about how people just give you gifts because you are willing to give them gifts. 
and they give you mortgage because they think about you when they're traveling, they're going, they come back and, and bring you. So why? Because you do the same thing. It becomes reciprocal. But yet, when we become so self-centered, other people start stop thinking about you. Because they stop thinking about you because you're not thinking about them. So why would they think about you when you're only going to be about yourself? And when we start looking about how the mind of Christ realized that we need to serve others more than wanted to be served, then we understand, like, you know what, Christ, how can I not be so caught up in my own self-centeredness and my own pride and be blinded by my sin that I can be opened up and so loved? Think about how many things are broken up because of self-centeredness. Everybody wanted to do it their way. Think about how relationships are severed because we didn't look and listen to somebody else. Think about how corporations were broken because somebody's pride and ego got in the way, like how they can further their career and everything else went down or under. We have so many examples we can look over and lives how things suffer just because of pride and ego. We don't have to look far because pretty soon as we get into the presidential election of 2016, you're going to see a whole bunch of people point a whole lot of self-centered things. They're going to say they voted for this, for this, for that, for that. They're going to point out everything they did just to push their own career along. But yet you're going to see others say, you know what, I'm doing it for the people. And so here comes a challenge now that we have to look in and say, you know what, how is it that we are moving it and doing it for the betterment of ourselves, not just for ourselves? Sometimes we do things and it looks like we're helping people, but we're only helping ourselves. So we have to look again, how are we helping ourselves or are we just helping ourselves? Because we can look good and sound good and make everybody feel good, but yet you only did it for yourself. But yet if you can look good and feel good and make everybody else feel good and you did it for them, you'll feel better about yourself. So the mind of Christ. So Paul opens up this part of this segment of this letter we see in in chapter 2, verse 1 about all right, body of Christ, we need to be unified. And being unified means that we have comfort, we have encouragement, we have fellowship in the spirit. We have love and compassion towards one another. We have a, a same love, the same mind, the same spirit, the same fellowship. We ought to have the same mind. And, and in the same, it says, therefore, we will not be selfish, that we will not be positioning ourselves to elevate ourselves, but instead we'll be looking after others and building them up. And so in building them up means this, that you're not looking to always to top somebody off. You know what it means to top somebody off? It means that they say they have one thing. You got to let them know you have the same thing. You just can't let them be happy all by themselves. They, they're going to say, I got a new car. I just got me a new car too. You just can't let them have it by themselves. You just got to point out, I got that too. But yet, if you can encourage them, you can say, oh, well, how do you enjoy it? And just talk to them about it. Encourage them about it. We need to be, realize that it's okay to put yourself last. Because Jesus has taught us what? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The greatest of these is the least of these. It's good to be last. And so that's why he points to have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. Looking at this mind that was in Christ Jesus, we see in, in those verses 6 to verses 11. The first part of, of verses 6 through 8, we look at truly the mind of Christ. And in this mind of Christ, we're going to find him being humil- having humility. We're going to find him showing his, his not being selfish and not being self-centered, but being serving of others. We're going to find his love and his compassion. And we're going to find his unity in God the Father. So what does the mind of Christ look like? It looks like surrendering. 
Jesus Christ is in the form of God. He was already existing eternal, but yet he came in the form of a slave. He showed that he did not regard equality with God, something to hold on to, something to grasp to, but yet he humbled himself. Tell your neighbor, be humble. And having the mind of Christ that I'm willing to humble myself, not willing to hold on to what I think is right. One of the examples that sometimes we suffer and hurt ourselves when we think something is right is when you think about a four-way stop sign. You've been to a four-way stop sign before, am I right about it? And when you come to a four-way stop sign that it tells you it's a four-way, that means that everybody has to stop. And sometimes we think we're the first ones there, so we want to go in and try to slow down and try to go ahead into the intersection. And what may happen is that another car thought the same thing, and they too want to go through and T-bone you right there. But you're going to say, I had the ride away. True indeed, you had the right of way, but yet you could have surrendered. Sometimes in our lives we have the right of way, but we don't surrender. We end up getting hurt because we were right. Let me help you out. It's not good to be right and hurt. But if you just submit and surrender, check this out. You'll be all right and you'll be healthy and you can move on through the intersection. In our lives, we have to realize that I don't have to hold on to something just because I got it. But I can surrender and does not take anything away from me. Because when, when, when God, when Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, he did, not, he did not lose anything. He did not lose his deity. He did not lose being God. He just chose to show us the way of humility. He said, you know what? Even though I am with God, existing with God, I choose to come in the form of a slave. He went from being the master of all to being the slave of all. Just to show us the way. This mind of Christ is a mind of humility. And so when he emptied himself, when you get that word, they and they're dealing with the kenosis, that he did not lose his deity. I want to holler. He did not lose anything. It just showed that he would rather come in the form of man. That he was still fully God and fully man. And so therefore, in his emptying himself, so that he did not have to laud his privileges. Because if you want to look closely about his privileges in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to get him and Peter decided to bring out his sword and cut off an ear, he let them know that you, you don't need a sword. You live by the sword. You die by the sword. By which you understand that I have 12 legions of angels standing on standby for my beck and call. Basically, what Jesus was telling him that, you know, that if I wanted to, I could shut this down right now. Going to roll up in here like they're going to take me, but I can let them know who really got the power. But he let them know that I did not come to show my power. I did not come to show off how big and bad I am because I don't have to prove that to anybody. I am God. I am God all by myself. But I came to show you how you can humble yourself and be lifted up. So when we humble ourselves, we, we put ourselves in a position that this, there's a story illustration about how, how two, two goats were coming on the same bridge. And they didn't want to let go. They didn't want to give way. But one got low so the other one could walk over. And he was able to get his way. Sometimes in our lives that we are standing in a position, we have the right to stand in the position, but if we just get low. And humble ourselves. We might be walked on, but we'll be able to get back up again. <laughs> Jesus let them know that I will lay down my life. But in 
three days, I'm going to rise again. I want you to understand that when you are doing what God has called you and you humble yourself, you put yourself in a low position, don't worry about that you're going to stay down. Know that you're going to rise again. It reminds me of, 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 of how we have buoys and buoys go underwater, but yet they bounce back up again. And, and the same thing in our lives, that we're going to have some bounce and some buoyness in our lives, that we're going to get in some situations. We may drop down, but guess what? You'll come back up. Again, because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. So we can humble ourselves. It's not that I got to rest on your own personal power and your sin, but you can rest on the power of God and his strength and his might. And you can put on the whole arm of God. You can stand against the wicked schemes of the enemy. Understand that though I may be low, he is high and lifted up and God is looking out for me so I can humble myself. I understand that God can't fight your battles. Don't try to fight him. So just let God fight your battles. He makes us, in Romans, he makes it clear, vengeance is the Lord's. Don't repay evil with evil. Repay good with evil. Let the love of God win out. Having this mind of Christ, think about it, why they were nailing him to the cross and persecuting him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He understood that I love you enough that though you are doing me wrong, I'm able to humble. I can make, I can end this right now. But yet I did not come to show off my power. I came to save the mind of Christ. So you see his humility. Moved him to obedience. Obedience even to a criminal's death or death on a cross. Jesus' affection and compassion led him to the cross. It's amazing that when we think about how he came to the cross, what did he do for us? He covered all of our sins. He made us right with God. He made all that was wrong right. By being on the cross. And coming in a human form, he revealed God's love. Rather than caring more about our, um, his own good, he cared about everybody else's good and established a relationship with us in compassion. He humbled himself in obedience to the cross for our sins, giving himself up to save us. How often in our lives that we have to give up something? And have to give up maybe your time, maybe give up your resources, maybe give up some clothes, maybe give up some books in order to help somebody. But things that sometimes we don't want to give them up because they're so precious to us. Jesus says, no greater love than this, than a man lay his life down for another. And so if he's willing to lay his life down, can you not give something else up? We are so caught up that we want everybody to do something for us. We're not looking, how can I do something for you? We want everybody else to give us a leg up. But are we willing to stoop down and help push them up? He came from heaven down to earth just to lift us up. Mm. Because you understand that when he clothed himself in human form, being fully God and fully man, not his death, not only crucified and was, uh, was our sins, died, but he became our sin. But yet when he rose again, it represented us to be able to be one with God. That we'll be changed one day to be just like him, that we'll be able to see him face 
to face. And so his death on the cross was a shameful death. It's foolishness to many of the, the Gentiles. They, to who, who, would, who would die on a cross? Jesus. And look what happened. Because he died on the cross, it says, therefore, God highly exalted him to the place of the greatest honor and gave him the name that is above every name. This name is so awesome that it demands a response that every knee shall bow on heaven, on earth, and below. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Look closely here in these verses. Do you see the shift from six to eight? We see Christ moving, the Son of God moving. And then right there in verse 9, we see God the Father moving. God the Father has exalted him and put him at the right hand of the Father. I want you to grab this principle that when we humble ourselves, it opens up room for God to lift us up. Jesus made it clear when he talked about be careful about sitting in place of honors that you'll be embarrassed when they ask you down. But if you sit in a low place, you'll be encouraged when he asks you to come on up. And so here's a process in our lives that when we humble ourselves, we don't have to worry about God asking us down. We just got to wait for him to lift us up. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so in being united in the body of Christ, united in the fellowship, means that I am in a low position. Can I understand that to be in a low position means to understand that I am not weak, I am not lesser than, but I understand my position. Mm. I understand that where I am is where God wants me to be, and where I am is where he can't use me. I want us to grab that when we put on the mind of Christ, we don't put ourselves where we want to be, but we allow him to position us where he needs us to be. I, I want you to think about how when people are going through surgery in their lives, they don't, you cannot just lay down how you want to lay down. No, they put you in the position they want you to be in order that they can fix what needs to be fixed. If you're going for an x-ray and your, and your arm is broken or, or you have pain in your arm, they don't tell you to put your arm down. They put it in a specific position so that they can look and see what needs to be done. Why am I giving all these examples? I want you to understand that our God knows what position you need to be in in order that he can fix you. But when you're proud, you're not looking to bend. But when you're humble, you're able to be maneuvered and placed where you need to be. So when we humble ourselves before him, we understand that it's not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what I can get out. But how can I have this attitude, this thought process, this mind of Christ? And this mind of Christ leads to unity. Because John 17, chapter said, Lord, I pray that they be one as you and I are one. God the Son is one with the Father, wants us to be one with the Son so that we too can be one with the Father. And when we are one with the Son, that we become co-heirs to the kingdom of God. But we have to have this mind first. What does it mean to have this mind? I'm glad you asked that question. The mind basically is not just simply a, a, an attitude, but yet it's a way of thinking. 
When he used this word here, basically that is the philosophy is this, that if you think it, then you will do it. When you have your mind to go to work, think about how everything works out. You got your work clothes out. You have your time scheduled out. You have your car ready to go so you can make it and get there to work. When you have your mind not to go to work, you don't care what's going on in the morning. You're not going to work. But when you have your mind made up, everything's working up to accomplish those goals and to get that done. Do you have your mind on Christ? Then you will have the attitude of think about how can I be more loving? How can I be more encouraging? How can I show more compassion? How can I be more unified? How can I be more serving and less self-centered? How can I look to build each other up and not tear people down? How can I put myself in a position that God gets the glory? Because you see it right there, right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord for what? The glory of God the Father. I want us to understand very clearly that we are not unified just for unity's sake, but we're unified for the glory of the Father. And we are created for his glory. We are made for his glory. We were not made for us, so regardless of what all those books tell us about ourselves and how we could do this, we can do that. We need to look and say, Lord, whatever I am doing, is it pleasing to you? And if you, if you need some help, if it's pleasing to him, let's look at Philippians and say, Lord, is this encouraging? Is this comforting? Is this loving? Is this of the same mind? Is this the same of the same attitude? Am I looking to build each other up and not tear each other down? If you can answer yes to those things and understand that God is pleased with those things, then you will try to do those each and every day. Being a Christian is not a one-time event. It's not just showing up on Sunday. But every day, we need to have this attitude, this mind of Christ, and do it for the glory of God. So I want you to think, What is hindering you from being united? Is it your pride? Can you just not tell somebody they're doing something better than you? You just can't humble yourself and encourage somebody better than you. Is it you're so self-centered that you hate when other, other people get encouraged and pat on the back that you get mad and you walk away? We understand that if Christ came to serve, he girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. He came in the form of a slave and, and did the work of a slave and washed his feet. What can you do to show God I surrender? I surrender every aspect of my life as a husband, as a wife, as a brother, as a sister, as a co-worker, as an employer or as an employee. I surrender. The challenge is that we have to submit ourselves and look at Christ. Though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to come in the form of a slave. In the image of a man, that he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, to glory to God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God, we just thank you. We thank you for the great example of the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, who showed us that humility is not loss of power, but humility is a showing of power. Father, we pray that you help us to show our humility, that we're able to lay ourselves down before you 
and know that you will lift us up, that you will fight our battles, that, Father, you will help us to love and, and be more encouraging and comforting towards one another. Help us, Almighty God, to be unified in this spirit, for there's one God, one Father, one baptism, one spirit over us, in us all, and through us all. And, Lord, we surrender to your will. Father, convict us right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your revelation. And we surrender to you right now, God, that we'll be more encouraging, more loving each and every day, we pray. Amen. We extend a hand to stop. There might be someone here that decided to give their life to Christ or to...